For someone of my generation, this week feels all weird because of my generation, we would never have gone back to school either last week or this coming week. Back to school was around Labor Day sometime. Sorry, kids. It was a wonderful, blessed time. <laughs> Shortly after the age of dinosaurs. And one of the things I remember doing during summer, and I purposely haven't used this example until people are heading back to school, is watching lots of TV during the summer break. We didn't have loads of, act of planned activities. We didn't have a lot of camps to go to or leagues to play in or band to get ready for. It was pretty much get out of the house, don't bother any adult until 5 p.m., stay out of trouble, and you were fine. So one of the things that I remember doing, particularly as the afternoons got hotter and hotter as the summer went by, was spending the late afternoon watching television. Now, this actually was kind of a challenge. Long before cable TV, long before Netflix or anything like that, we had very limited options, as you may have heard from stand-up comedians over the last 20 years. We had four or five channels to choose from, and they were coming in over the air, and so you didn't even know what channels were going to come in on any given day. It really did depend on the weather. But there was one channel that I could count on, and so that would be where I'd start my channel flipping. We had a rotary dial on our black and white TV, no remote control, and I had to bop, 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 bop through to see what channel was coming in, play with the antenna on top of the TV, see what I could get better, that sort of thing. And this one channel always had the afternoon movie, which was called Dialing for Dollars, the TV show. And the whole concept here was that at certain commercial breaks, we had to watch the commercials, the host would open up the phone book and tag a number of the white pages. I realize all this is just so remote now. <laughs> but the phone book was divided into homes and businesses. He'd go to the home listings, tap a number, and dial it over the air. They made sure they didn't give out the phone number, not to protect anyone's privacy, but they had learned through the years that if they gave out the phone number, then competitors, so to speak, other watchers of the show, would try to dial the number first so that the person would not win and the jackpot would grow. So the person would be dialed. If they answered with dialing for dollars, they won $50, $75, $100. Depends how big the jackpot had grown. So I first started watching this show thinking I might get myself 50 bucks not realizing how many numbers were in the San Diego phone book. It was over a million. Not good odds. And eventually what I started to do was watch the movie as well. And I remember the host of this show was a man named Bob Dale. I don't know why that name has stuck with me through the years. But he was a fascinating man. He was someone who really loved old movies. And they could only show old movies because those were the only movies the TV station could afford to rent, so to speak, just to use current terminology. And so the movies would be from the 1930s and 40s, almost exclusively. And he would, Bob Dale would give a little bit of history about each movie. 
And this kind of began to hook me in. He'd say, now keep an eye out, because during the next 20 minutes of movie you get to watch before the next commercial, you'll see the character of the butler come in. And that will be some famous movie star. And this is the first time he or she appeared in a movie. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, so there's Gregory Peck or some other later famous movie star in this 30-second role in the movie. And I got, oh, okay. So I've had this feeling I was getting inside information, which is always attractive to an elementary school kid to think, I'm going to know something my parents don't know and my friends don't know. Little did I realize none of them cared. <laughs> so what I began to learn was that a lot of the movies that this TV station showed every weekday were from what I didn't know much about yet, the Great Depression, the time when the United States and the world had a huge amount of issues in almost every household around money. Almost no one felt secure, no one felt safe about the money they had and whether or not they'd have any money come a month from now because it was just such a hard, hard time for the economy. So the movies almost always, at least the movies they showed on this TV station, were happy. They were escapism. They were fantasy. And Bob Dale would say, now watch in the next segment, they're going to have this massive dinner and everyone has seconds. He said, to you, modern viewer of 1970, that may seem like not something unusual. But for the people who were sitting in the movie theaters of 1932, that was a fantasy. That was unimaginable that they'd go home and have enough food on the table to have seconds. And so people would actually want to sit there and watch a meal being eaten that included people getting seconds whenever they wanted it. And other more obvious things, that people traveled on ocean liners or luxury cross-country trains and wore wonderful clothes and had beautiful houses and all that. He said, the reason that they keep showing these things is because people many times didn't care what the plot of the movie was. Instead, they wanted to be able to escape into this life that was beyond their reach. And for just 90 minutes sitting in a darkened movie theater in their little town, have the sense that their lives were okay and that they had enough clothing for their whole family, enough food for their whole family, enough shelter for their whole family, and everyone had a job. So that, this is what we're seeing in these fantasies. And even as a 10-year-old, for me, that started to sink in. And I began to watch these movies with a whole different sense of what was the movie trying to say beyond simply the plot. And it wasn't some great uh, effort on the part of the movie makers to make people feel good. It was instead they wanted to sell tickets. And this is what people would pay to see. Something to think about whenever you think about what movies people are paying to see. What are the fantasies? What are the illusions that people want to be part of for two hours nowadays? What do they want to participate in as they sit in their theater seat or now sit on their living room couch? What's the fantasy? And then we get to think about this morning's gospel and the fantasy that this rich man had in this made-up story. This wasn't something that actually happened. This made-up story that Jesus told. 
about this man having the fantasy that he could store up so much stuff that he could live a life worry-free. He had this fantasy that he could build a new barn, fill it with enough grain to last him the rest of his life, and if there are any farmers among us, you'll know grain doesn't last that long. But fantasy, the guy wasn't thinking accurately, and that he'd be able to relax, eat, drink, be merry. And then the punchline of this made-up story is he died the next day. Jesus is trying to tell us in this story that recreational fantasy is fine. We can, we can go to Gen Con and enjoy that. We can have our hobbies that take us into fantasies. That's fine. But we can't mistake that for a life plan, for a way of living, for a way of seeing the world. We have to understand what's recreational and what's real. And part of what Jesus is saying is that this made-up rich man had a life strictly a fantasy. He didn't even think about that the saying he was quoting ended with, you drink and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. If he'd only remembered the rest of the line, he would have known that this was a fantasy, that he was living a life of illusion. If he had only thought about how long will grain really keep in that barn, it's not going to keep for a decade, it's not a great IRA plan here, then he would have realized, no, this is a fantasy I'm thinking of. This is a fantasy I'm trying to live out that's impossible. And so simply put, Jesus wants us to stay rooted in reality and not necessarily be rooted in reality in a way that's, that's depressing, but rather in the way that's hope-filled. Because what reality is, is that God loves us all. Reality is that God is doing God's best to take care of all of us and is asking us to participate in that effort. Part of this made-up story has the fellow having this amazing crop. And part of what the scriptures had taught for generations and generations before Jesus came along and continued to teach is that when you have that kind of abundance, it's time to share because not everyone does. That particularly with something perishable like food, don't keep it till it rots. Share what you have to the people who are in need. That's often why God has provided an abundance, so that there would be enough for all. That's just one small example that's quite obvious in this one made-up story. But that happens again and again of ways in which God gives us the tools, the resources to make the world a better place. But if we're off in a fantasy land, however subtle and therefore harder to counter, we're not going to see the resources that are available to us as resources to share. Instead, we'll see them as resources simply for our own benefit, for ourselves alone. And that's not how God wants us to live. Even when terrible things happen, as we've been hearing over the news the last 48 hours and even beyond, we are called to remember we are all one people and that God is loving every single one of us. And in the midst of difficult times, that love is not vanquished, it is not overcome, but instead comes even with a greater force if we only access it, if we only say yes to it in our own hearts 
if we're only willing to step out of our fantasies of self-control in our lives, of self-determination, of I can do it myself, if we're only willing to step out of that and instead depend upon God and allow God's love to shape who we are, to shape our dreams, to shape our goals, then the world can be a better place and it can heal from the tragedies of life and more and more people will know how precious they are and therefore what real life is about of loving God with our entire being, loving our neighbor as ourself, of sharing, of being generous, of being good people who are willing to risk loving others because God has already loved us so much and always will. I still enjoy watching an old black and white movie sometimes. It reminds me of those carefree summer afternoons listening to Bob Dale's trivia. But I know that's not where I live. And maybe that's why the black and white movie is so helpful, because I just have to open my eyes and see I live in a world of beautiful colors, of scenery that isn't restricted to a soundstage in Hollywood. But instead, I live in a world God has made beautiful, and often through the efforts of other human beings. It is a wonderful place to be in. And I can respond to that reality by loving well, by living generously, by taking some risks, and helping the world be a better place, all in the name of Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>